Well, all I can say, Janet Lee, is that you did it again. Wow, thank you so much for your performance. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And hello, everyone out there. Well, this is Exodus Escape 26. Can you believe that? 26. We're headed toward 30 at least. And from my printout uh, that I mailed you, most of you, I hope, if there's any of you people out there that do not get the broadcast announcement, uh, please uh, get hold of us and we'll see to it that you're on the list. Here's how it, it reads. On Sunday, April 24th, 2016, at 9.25 a.m. Mountain Time, Jerry Lee will present Exodus 26, The Arm of Moses, and the balance of the whirlwind ministries and Job, the Job mystery. In a quasi or quasar mystery kind of way, a king-sized reveal will rise from the sleep of ages and speak clearly the sound of certain truth. In the long of time, knowledge will possess the minds of untold millions. Energy dots will be manifested about universes past and their histories will become known. Lost books like the Book of Wars will be rewritten by the Spirit. A view of Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration will explain the arm of Moses and the body ministry that it represents and its message to the world in a kind of Enoch transits of the mind to and fro of scriptures will sparkle like diamond truths. Exodus Escape 26 has the number value um, has the number value of equal to eight. And uh, okay, so it goes on to talk about the, a new dimension of breathing uh, and the breathing in and out of spiritual oxygen for the mind. Uh, and then it it just touches on this thing about Moses with his arm and hand held up uh, the holy rod. And as long as the rod was held up, Israel won one victory after another. But as Moses became too weary to hold up the holy rod, the anti-forces to Israel began to win the battle. Then came body ministry of such persons as Joshua and Caleb, who using the gifts of strength, began to help Moses keep up his arm. Now, I know there will be persons out there who will say, hey, you haven't got that right. It wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't those two, Joshua and Caleb. It was the brother of Moses, Aaron, and then and her. Well, um, I, I sort of believe this like uh, when they went to... The, um, the fellow who was involved with the judgment of Jesus, Pilate, and, uh, and they didn't like the way the sign over the head of Jesus was written. And, uh, you know, and it said, you know, King of the Jews. And they said to him, say not that it says King of the Jews, but rewrite that, that he says he's the King of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. Leave it be. Well, I sort of feel like that on this printout that I gave because 
it is actually correct. And uh, even though it doesn't seem that it's correct, it is correct, and I will explain it to you, and you will see how it is that lots of times that I think out loud in my writings. And so, um, there's more that is in that writing, but uh, we won't just stick with that um, verbal on verbal. Uh, I just have so much to share with you. Uh, you know, from the, um, from the Seven Thunders Speak Manifest Chronicles Before Genesis, um, in the book that I have, page 23 in the Preludes, it says something very interesting. Um, the children of Israel who followed Moses could not perceive the revelation of the extraterrestrials. See Psalms 106.7 and Deuteronomy 29.4. Nor could they understand that the manna they ate for 40 years was in fact angel food. Psalms 78.25. No natural foods exist on earth that follow weekly Sabbaths uh, that are so potent that the, ex the exhaust of its energy through the body pores could give protection to the clothing and the shoes <clears throat> as it did for the Israelites whose clothing and shoes they wore did not wear out during the 40 years they ate the manna. See Deuteronomy 29.5. So it's interesting how that for generations people can be exposed to miracles they can be exposed to the Word of God. They can be exposed to great writings like the awesome Bible and other kinds of writings by persons of God. And all the time that they are reading these things and hearing these things, they are really not understanding what they are saying. And this was the case with basically almost all of the people of Israel that Moses was trying to get liberated from the bondage of Egypt. And in the end, almost none of those people were allowed to go into the promised land with just the, except a very few. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But let's, um, let's go on to some other things. Let's talk about this mystery of Job, because Job is an awesome mystery, a beautiful mystery. And, um, you know, uh, it talks about Job in many, many different kinds of ways. But in the way that it really needed to be talked about, Job, we're going to be talking about him, Lord willing, today. And it involves... Um, a nation or a city and a person and the offspring of that person by the name of Teman, spelled T-E-M-A-N. Now, I might surprise you if I told you that there was a connection of this Teman revelation and the T-T-T-T-T code that you find <clears throat> used in the, the manifest revelation, Seven Thunders. And I may not be able to have the time today to show you how that 
the code intertwines. Uh, but I'm just telling you that there is an aspect. And, uh, and so this thing, Teman, is not, not minor. And in Habakkuk 3, 3 through 6, um, it has some interesting things about uh, Peran, P-A-R-A-N, Peran. Um, and then um, in uh, um, that revelation, we discover that a holy one came from Mount Paran. And we show that in our interpretation that there is, there is no uh, lack of continuity of the sentence when the word sila is, is, is entered. Uh, it doesn't need any kind of a, a separation there because it's all part of the, of the uh, use of explanation of a location. The Holy One came from Mount Paran, Sila. So this Sila and Paran had a connection. And his glory, Shekinah glory, uh, misty cloud-like, um, was also involved. So we want to repeat some of these things that are so important. The fact that the idea about rock, the idea about stone, which is a a rock of a different of different size is so important. Deuteronomy 32, 31, 37 says, for their rock is not our rock. So we see there's two different rocks, two different Petras, two different places of the covenant, as it explains it in in the New Testament in Galatians. And we see that when we start looking at, at numbers and accounting, that God does not account like humans do. And Daniel learned this by Gabriel visiting and showing him because the Bible says that when it came to figuring out the time, Daniel, who was a brilliant person and was a scientist, Learned by the books, the Bible says. But all of that learning that he did by the books turned out to not be correct. In fact, it was vastly not correct as to the extent of time that was involved. Because one aspect was only symbolic, while the other aspect was literal. And so that makes such a difference that is the difference of night and day. And when we begin to see that people can think they know something by the books, but if you don't know by the Spirit, then you are really in the line of reasoning that is probably afar off, sort of like those that followed the Lord from afar. And... We want to really get you into this to understand how that the Lord Jesus Christ is always coming and the Lord Jesus Christ is always leaving. And the Lord Jesus Christ that has left is still present. And the Lord Jesus Christ that is present has also left.
And when people say, oh, I just, I, oh, I want to see him. And, and I love that song, you know, oh, I want to see him. I want to look upon his face. And I love that. I love that song. On the streets of glory. I love that. I love all of those words. But are people telling me that they have not received Jesus Christ into their hearts and that Jesus Christ is not in, the, in their hearts and that the kingdom of God within does not have the Holy Spirit and does not have Jesus Christ and that the kingdom of God is within every person according to the first chapter of, of St. John. So even when Jesus is leaving, Jesus has not left. And even as Jesus has not left, he also has left. Because we have to understand not only the dividing of the spirit, the body, and the soul, but we have to understand the dividing of the hundredfold, the sixtyfold, the thirtyfold, and we have to understand the dividing of the different levels of presence. First presence, second presence, third presence. We have to understand the difference of dimensions. Some are higher than others. Some are lower than others. So if we don't have the right accounting, the God kind of accounting, we'll be reasoning in the, in the ideologies of the books written by men, but not written by the Spirit. So the point when the Bible tells us that the Lord comes with ten thousands of his angels, and you go to Psalm 68 and you see that ten thousands of his angels twice of number because there was an S on the thousands ended up being described as 20,000 and more angels. And so, when, some, so when, when you go back into history, you say, well, that happened way, way back in the time of Moses when he went to the Mount of Sinai. But let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. That which was is that which is. And that which is is that which is yet coming. And so these events are always happening because if an event is an eternal action, eternal actions cannot perish. And therefore, they are perpetual. And that which was and that which is and that which is to come are Alpha and Omega in one revelation. And that is why in the spirit world that there is a relevance that does not exist in the physical world. And that relevance is major because it tells us that the physical world, let's call it the human body, 
that it is dead without the Spirit. So it correlates with the Scripture that says, the letter killeth, but the Spirit maketh alive. So that you could have a letter that was written from God. You could have a letter from Paul the Apostle. You could have a letter from Moses, from Ezekiel, from Isaiah. And all the time that you might be making a claim that you have something that is divine and something from God, it is not relevant to you because you are reading it by the letter that killeth. You're reading it like Daniel did by the books and not by the Spirit. So only can you get into the Word of God and really know what it is saying when you are quickened by the Spirit. And that quickening is not a minor word. Now they say that Paran or Paran is not yet found. But sure it is. All these places that they say that are lost, even books like the, the Book of Wars, it's like when people say they lost something in their computer. But a computer expert can show that those things are not lost. They can go in and they can dig them up because they are, re, they are imprinted, they are recorded there someplace if you know how to find them. So when the Bible says the Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir, he shined forth from Mount Paran. And that was in Deuteronomy 33, 1 through 3. And when the Lord says in Habakkuk 3, 3, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. We find that God's comings are multidirectional. And of course they have specific application to the naming of a specific place. But they don't limit that coming because the Bible also teaches us that even if you go to hell, the Spirit of God is there. That there is basically no place in the universe that the Spirit of God is not. And so then if God the Father who is in Jesus Christ is the image of the ultimate invisible God whose first presence never comes into the, the universe, but they are the perfect image. They therefore are representing as though that first presence was in the universe and they are further representing it by then revealing how to have a relationship with God who is in the first domain who cannot come where you are now in the ordinary sense, but who can come and has come in the spiritual sense by the Word and by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so, there is relevance to Mount Seir, S-E-I-R. There is relevance to Mount 
Paran, P-A-R-A-N. There is relevance to Teman, T-E-M-A-N. And it's important. In one particular interpretation of the NIV, in Deuteronomy 33, 2, it says, And dawned over them from Seir, and came with myriads of holy ones. A little different way of saying the same thing, because we're not limited in the Word of God to expressing something only in a singular mode. When you come into the, the upbeat of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, you find out that it's about multiple language and multiple expressions. Well, right now I am so busy and so involved in some of my scientific meetings, some really, really big things, major things are in the making. But there was a time a lot of years ago, a time in a lot of youth that I had, in which my mind didn't even think on scientific things wasn't even interested in scientific things. Oh, I, I would catch a fancy here and there, maybe of some little something, but it just wasn't the big thing. I had other things I was interested in. And a lot of it was Word of God, but not in the thought about it being something along a scientific revelation. Well, then one day, a manifest revelation came to me. And it said, you are going to receive a manifest. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that's great. I thought that might be something like Martin Luther when he had a little list that he tacked on the Catholic church door. I had no idea at that time, even though I did know all of it, even though I was aware of all these scientific things, I did not know, know it in the sense of it being relative because it was in a state of suspension. So we, here we have all these people that I read to you about, basically almost the whole tribe of Israel, that even though they saw the angels, even though they saw these ziths, they could not relate to it or equate it. They could not relate to the angelic miracles or to the angels. Even while Moses was up on the mount, and remember, these are people that have seen one miracle after the other, including the Red Sea and including all the miracles that happened in Egypt to allow them to escape. And yet, even collectively or singularly, they could not grasp it. It had to convey to them something different than what really had happened. 
And that's what ha- that is what's going on a lot. People are hearing things and interpreting it, taking it in in a totally different manner than what the, the, the word of quickening is saying. And they are literalizing much that they hear instead of understanding the spiritual aspect and that only by the spiritual aspect can the letter of the law that kills be overcome and be made to become a letter of living essence. Well, then I had the experience. And you've heard the story before. And Gabriel appeared to me behind a wall of light. And I did not see him, but I could hear him. And I wanted to reach through this wall of light and see if I could touch him. And then he said to me, do not try to reach through the wall of light or do not try to see me because you are not ready. You are not, you are not holy enough yet. And I don't think I, that was a downer to me because I'm just was always the kind of guy that thought, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. And didn't think too much about it. Although it was slightly embarrassing when I met with the people that knew I was supposed to be meeting with Gabriel and, and had to tell them that I couldn't see him and that he had a lot to say to me, but I couldn't remember any of it that he had planted it in my mind and at some later date I didn't know when it's supposed to come back to my memory. But the point, the point is that first time that the memory did open. I think it was almost two years later. And this is what it said. When the electromagnetic, electromagnetic waves of the external stones of fire atoms, subparticles, are synchronized with the internal stones of fire, a circuit is produced or created that angels can use to travel speeds faster than the speed of light. And that was the, the first time in this Jerry Lee body that I really was rived up into a lost memory, into a lost personage that was a superseded kind of personification of mind. Now, when I start talking about these kind of things, about electronic kind of things, it's it's awesome stuff because it's totally not what most people can understand in any way. But there's a lot of people, more and more people in this day and age that are starting to come into things. You know, it's in the Bible. Job thirty twenty two said, Thou liftest me up to the wind. 
And we know that the wind can mean a lot of things. It can actually mean a breath of God, spirit of God. It can actually mean a special kind of reveal of of an almost extraterrestrial type of person. Thou liftest me up to the wind. Thou causest me to rise. Thou causest me to ride upon it. Now get this one. And thou dissolveth my substance. You know, the person that doesn't understand, it would be very scary and terrifying. First they'd be saying, oh, wow, isn't this neat? Why, look at this revelation in, in Job thirty twenty two. You get lifted up like into the wind. Oh, that, that'd be really exciting. And you get to ride on it as long as they don't go too fast and, <laughs> and the ups and downs don't happen too, too fast. And thou dissolveth my substance. Whoa, wait a minute. That means I die, doesn't it? I don't want to die. Hey, forget the ride. I cancel it. You see, the letter killeth, but the spirit bringeth to life. I mean, there's something in that word that can kill you. If you didn't get killed by the wind, you could possibly get killed by the ride. If you didn't get killed by the wind or the ride, you most certainly could be killed by being dissolved of your substance. And so that's a pure case of death. You mess with that kind of word. The letter killeth. And it certainly seems like it is saying that. But that's not what it's saying by the Spirit. What it's saying by the Spirit is so beautiful. This thing of being lifted up. It's like Jacob's ladder. This thing of, of being lifted up is like when in Psalms and in the New Testament, it talks about Christ descending and ascending. And in John, when it talks about the angels descending upon him, upon him, his body, it's something spectacularly awesome and beautiful. And in order to get into that mode of mind, in order to get into that essence, in order to get in that, that inner peace that steps out of the suspension of spirituality. You have to have a Holy Ghost unction to move you there, to move you out of that suspension. Now, if you will hang in there with me and let me just share a couple things that I think are extremely interesting. This is sort of science right here, but it's interesting science. It has been mathematically expressed and otherwise expressed in different ways that when a human sits in a chair, he doesn't actually touch it. Now, does that kill you out? Does the letter of that kill you out? Say, ha, 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 ha. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. 
So I'm sitting in the seat. My butt, I know, is touching the seat. And you're telling me, though, that I'm really not touching the seat. <laughs> oh, boy, this religion is pretty far out. Is it really? This is scientifically proven. Here's what it says actually is happening. It says the person that thinks they're sitting in the seat are actually floating a very minute, teeny, invisible distance above the chair's seat, suspended by the repulsion between the atom's electromagnetic repulsion. That electromagnetic repulsion is said to be more than four billion times stronger than the force of gravity. So the gravity that would pull you down into the chair is not near as strong as electromagnetic energy. Electromagnetic energy is four billion times stronger. So is that even close to being understood? You know, when God was giving me this revelation on the Holy Manifest, one of the things he said that I, I had to swallow on to, to get was what you see is not what is. And wow, was that a humdinger. Wow, was that a feeling of groping in the dark. What you see is not what is. Well, then, does that void the, the gift of, the, of seeing? Does that make the gift of seeing not to have value? Because you see something, but that's not what you're really seeing. Well, no, it's really more like the letter of the law or the seeing of the law by the flesh. <laughs> It's not the critical component. You're only seeing things in a surface revelation that does not tell you the whole story of what really is happening because it is above and beyond what you can imagine. And so let's look at another one. Let's, let's think about Jesus. Let's talk about electromagnetic suspension. Electromagnetic suspension. When the Bible says that Jesus walked on the water, did Jesus know how EMS, electromagnetic suspension, allows suspension or levitation? Did he already know that? Someone says, well, I don't think he would have known about electromagnetic suspension. Really? Well, you have to remember that Jesus belongs to eternity. He belongs to, to other worlds, to other universes. He'd been around a long, long time. He might know more than you would imagine. Of course, you wouldn't know that by the flesh body, but you could know it by the spirit. But I'll tell you this, if you hang around on that letter of the law, it will kill you sooner or later. And you'd be as deadpanned and as dead as a flat piece of slate that has nothing written on it. Now let's look at this again. 
What about electromagnetic suspension? When the Bible says that Jesus walked on the water, did, did Jesus know about electromagnetic expansion or suspension or levitation? Levitation means to be lifted up. And I just read you that scripture in Job about he lifteth me up. He lifteth me up. I ride in the wind. I dissolve. I dissolve. My substance dissolveth. We call that dematerialization. And here, listen to this. Listen to this. Magnetic levitation of an object or body is achieved by, now this is scientific, this is scientific information here, is achieved by constantly altering the strength of a magnetic field produced by electromagnetism using what is called a feedback loop. So the permittivity of levitation and electromagnetic suspension can occur via a magnetic dipole moment or dipole moments where relativistically quantum mechanics achieves a loop. Now listen to this. A loop effect. A loop effect. Wow. There's a famous scientist, Derek, D-I-R-A-C, who did the Derek equation. And in this Derek equation, it says, a spin acts in the presence of a magnetic field in the same way a current loop would. So what they're saying, there is a way by using magnetic fields. Yeah, hey, Tesla. Tesla was, in, was into this kind of idea and thing. And finally here, NASA is said to be developing a launch method using a magnetic levitation system to propel spaceships. Hey, get on board, folks. Janet Lee at the Oregon.
Well, I'll tell you, there's nothing about that doing any killing. That is a total quickening. God bless you, Janet Lee. Wow. And here we go, folks. Let's keep on track. All right. So, when the electrovibmatic waves of the Soundtron, the Soundtron is in everything. So it's in the external stones of fire. And it can be read like that. So when the electrovibmatic waves, electromagnetic waves of the Soundtron, of the external stones of fire, the atoms, the subparticles, are synchronized, aligned, in rhythm with the internal stones of fire, a circuit is produced. You have a two-part system, a compound system, externally to your spirit, you have a physical body. Internally to your physical body, you have a spirit. So when there is an alignment, and believe me, that is not something easy to achieve. Because whether you could realize it or not, the spirit and the, the body are at war with each other all the time. And even though the body cannot exist without the spirit, because the Bible says that, the spirit without the body is dead, it nevertheless being so materialistic, so carnal, does not appreciate, does not like having to be responsible to or dependent upon the spirit for its life. The body is just a pulp mass of rebellion because the body wants to be Material, physical, because it belongs to the material, physical world. And the Bible beautifully, poetically says it. From dust is speaking to the body now. And some people say, that was talking to me. Well, you can claim whatever identity that you want. If you want to just claim to be a body, a mortal, that's physical, I guess that's your choice. But let me tell you the beginning and the conclusion of it. From dust you were taken, body, and unto dust shall you return. Naked you came into the world, and naked shall you leave being in the world. That's what the body gets. And flesh and blood can not inherit the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. You want to belong to that world other than understand to be using it because it's a vessel of habitation and mission for your spirit, then you have, you have the choice. The Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. 
you have the choice. But it's not a very smart choice because the letter of the law killeth. And that includes the body. The, you know, from the first time that the, body, that the baby comes out of the, of the mother's womb and cries, from that moment on, it starts deteriorating and works its way toward dying. The spirit is just the opposite. And so it's important to understand that we have to nevertheless bring the body in a certain kind of way under submission of the spirit so that there can be an alignment and so that there can be an understanding of a synchronization, a correlation between the spirit and the body. And this is called inharmonic aspect. And this is when you go to the piano, for an example, and you press down the, the E-flat button or key. When you press down the E-flat key, it is an E-flat. But at the same time it's an E-flat, it's also a D-sharp. The sharp goes up, the flat goes down. But strangely enough, they end up both finding each other at the same position. Even though they describe themselves, one is going up and the other is going down, then that has to be an explanation or a definition of the essence of action of the inharmonic experience. One aspect is going up because it's moving from the key position D on the piano and it's moving up in tone a half pitch. Whereas in the inharmonic aspect of the flat, the E flat, it is moving from E natural and going down a half step. So while the one is coming up a half step, the other is going down a half step, and they are in the same position from the one that goes up and from the other that goes down. But the difference is not in the production of the tone. The difference is in the understanding of the dimensional transition that what is moving up and what is moving down are completely different from how they appear. So that when the revelation says what you see is not what is, what you see is what is not, is very true when we take that symbolic expression of inharmonic aspect on the piano and put it into the context of a much higher definition of our spirit and our human body. And as we begin to come into that and realize that, then we have to realize there is in the constancy of reality always a going up and a going down. 
And sometimes in the process of going up and going down, you end up on a level that is equal to where something went down on. And something that went down on ends up equal with the, on a level that something went up to. But that doesn't mean that though they appear to be the same, that they are. Because in actuality, the aspect that is moving up is deemed differently than the aspect that is going down. So the Bible says, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that Jesus descended and what did he do? He went down and he descended to the angels that had fallen and were in prison. The spirits in prison. But the Bible says that Jesus not only descended, he also ascended and led the captive captive. Now that sounds like he got no place. He went to these people. They were in captivity. And he had to go down to get to him. And then when he came up, they were still in captivity. But things are not always like what they seem to be or how they look. What you see is not what is. What you see is what is not. That though Jesus descended to get down to their fall level. When he ascended, their captivity wasn't just totally changed at that moment. They had to be reborn into another human body and get an opportunity to overcome their fall and to overcome their ultimate fall. So while what Jesus did was actually a spiritual quickening moving up from a down level uh, level. The situation of captivity would seem not to have changed, but it had changed because from the one level of captivity, there was no offer of redemption. But from the other level of captivity, there was a total offer, offering and opportunity of redemption. And so what seemed to be the same was not the same. And it is so true then, the manifest revelation, what you see is not what is. What you see is what is not. Now, as we begin to get into this kind of thinking, then we begin to better understand the quickenings and the rushings of the Holy Ghost. And we begin to understand that there has to be a certain amount of intelligence and spirituality to understanding the quickenings and the rushings and to understand how to ascend and how to dis descend. You need to know how to ascend and you need to know how to descend. Wow. And you need to know that that something that might be called a stone, although 
it appears to your eyes to be something that is dead. May not be dead at all. Something that is a stone or a rock that may look like it's dead may be a rock of ages that is very much alive. But not everybody is able to descend or ascend into that quickening of the mind and rushing of the spirit. And believe me, when we start talking the rushings and the quickenings, we are on the very edge of the whirlwind ministry experience. And we're going to talk about the whirlwind after we talk on Job. And so there are stones out there that are not just cold and indifferent. There are stones out there that are warm to touch. And may God help you to never, never, never toss away without thinking really good about it any stone that you find that is warm to touch in the spirit sense. Because one of the definitions for stone is ancient. And that happens to be the name of the ancient of days. And that is also described in the title Rock of Ages. And in the manifest revelation, it is called having reached the knowledge of the holy kiss. It is called of having reached the knowledge of white. That though your sins be as scarlet, be as blood, they can be made as white as snow. And the word white, meaning in literal translations of the Bible and the Hebrew, interval, invisible interval, a place that a person can come in between the settings of the descending down and the descending up, in between the, the place of suspension, of those things which are suspended of knowledge in the physical, and of those things which are suspended of knowledge in the spirit. And how that going into this interval, this white phase allows you to see with eyes that are manifested and teaches you how to ascend and how to de descend descend it is so exciting timon timon when they spell out the pronunciation, they spell it out T-E-E-M-U-H-N, T-M-U-N. The five T code of the Holy Manifest. Seven thunders, T, T-T-T-T. Timon, it says in the Bible, is the name of a man. It's also the name of a city. 
And the best thing that scholars can come up with is that one of the things that the word has to mean when they get into the roots and the Hebrew complexities is on the right hand. And we've already shared with you that if you have a right side, a right side cannot exist without there being a left side. So, when the Bible says that when you prophesy, you know in part, that automatically means that in part you do not know. Because the duality of the up wave and the down wave are always present. And when we begin to get into these revelations and begin to see these truths, it's absolutely awesome. Now, I will give you the scripture of Genesis 36, 34. And I should actually turn to some of these scriptures and just read what they say. Because this thing of Job is mighty interesting. So 36.34 says, as part of a list, which is under the list, chapter 36.1, and these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. And it starts giving all of these names, but somewhere in there, verse Verse 42, 3642, it says Duke Teman. Duke Teman. And um, verse 3634 that I gave you, chapter 3634, and Jobab died and Husham of the land of Temanai, T-E-M-A-N-I, Temanai, reigned in his stead. So we see there's a land of, of Teman, and there's an I added on to it. And that could be very interesting if I had the time to get into it, to show how that that I adds a certain kind of meaning. Then... In Habakkuk, there is so many interesting things that is tied into all these, these kind of revelations. And we, we, want, you, we want you to uh, understand that in, in Genesis 36, 34, when it's speaking of Teman, it's telling that there is a clan, there is a whole group of of, of, of these people. And this uh, Timani also comes up in uh, 1 Chronicles one forty five. So it's not just a one-time thing. There is a whole bunch of very interesting, interesting aspects. Now, what is interesting, and I know you'll find this interesting, is that Timon the city of Teman, 
is only five miles from Petra, from Sheila, from Sila, pardon me, from Sila. Five miles. Now people say, well, I just don't understand how that Moses and, and Job and all these people would have ever lived in that area. That's just desert. Job is told of having these huge amounts of, of animals. So how could they feed these animals on a desert? Well, times change. Climates change. Because interestingly, if you go to Micah 2.12, it talks about the sheep of Bozrah. Bozrah is just a few miles from Demon. It's in that same general area. And Bozrah says some very interesting things that we may have time to talk about. And, and you know, it's interesting. There's been two fairly well-known ministries. And one believed that Petra, that Sila, was going to be used in the, uh, during the tribulation to, be, to go and hide in. And this other person believed that this place called... Um, Bozra, B-O-Z-R-A-H, was the correct place where they were going to go hide. And of course, that would mean that these people automatically admit that they weren't fit or they weren't selected to go up in the, in the, in the, uh, the rapture or in the catching away. Because those that are going to be caught away are going to be taken to the Father's house. And going out there and trying to survive in the, in the land of Jordan, where, where both those two cities are, both Teman and, and, and Bozrah, would not be a very great deal. Would not be a very great deal at all. Uh, there may have been a plan and a place at one, at one time, but it doesn't just go on and on and on. It might be interesting for you to know that even to this date, it is said that archaeologically speaking and many other descriptive aspects speaking, that there has only been discovered of the history of, of Petra, of the history of Sila, something around 15% of the history. Only 15% of the history where Job used to live, where Teman, where Petra, Sila exist, only 15%. But we've got right here in Micah that they used to raise sheep in those areas. That meant that there was grass that grew way back in a different time at which this thing with Job was happening. Okay? I think that is very interesting. So we've talked about in part 25 of Exodus Escape about in a recall reveal 
of a once of when about a place that wise men gathered to meet and discuss wondrous things. At that place, sagacious ones, wise ones, sought for the discovery of ancient and invisible wisdom long sealed in the stardom of time. This was no other than the high place called Bama. This location for a long time has remained a mystery and a secret. And in a book of Proverbs written by a wise man called Solomon, he wrote, A wise man scaleth the city of the mighty. Proverbs 21, 22 KJV. The word scaleth is a key. In the great book written by James Strong, Strong's Concordance in Hebrew and Greek Dictionaries, the Hebrew Dictionary H5927, as I've shared with you before, speaks in prints of meanings. It is especially deep in the value of knowledge. To understand that the tabernacle of the Lord which Moses made in the wilderness and the altar for burnt offerings for one season was in Gibeon, First Chronicles 21-29, because the Ark of the Covenant was a traveling ministry. Wow. So the word scaleth, quoted in Proverbs 21-12, when translated, was a beautiful, beautiful explanation that included mounting up, being carried away, becoming vapor. Remember that thing about I will about dematerializing, about that I, I read and shared with you about just dissolving. I shared you with you that scripture. And he, here it is again. That's part of the meaning of, of this bama. This dematerialization thing is a part of that. And Numbers 23, 9, for from the top of the rock I see him. This was called the high place. So this revelation that I've shared with you about bama was all tied in to the revelation of high places revealed to the children of Israel, beginning with revelation revealed to Moses. So we see in this aspect of Bama, uh, which in Ezekiel 20 29 goes in very, very important definitions, and how that, that this name, you know, is along the line of where and to are you going? And they answered, they said, well, we're going to Bama. And I, and I shared with you Isaiah 58, 14, I think it was last week, and Isaiah 6, 1 through 13, about being caused to ride in the high places, which was the heritage of Jacob. And these things are, are awesome, and they're, they're incredible. Don't fail to read Proverbs twenty two twenty one. Don't fail to read Obiah one eight. The city of the mighty, the high place, and the Hebrew. The Hebrew is important. 
of being able to understand what is being talked about. The H5927 about scaled. So don't fail to read, as I said, Proverbs 22.21 or Obadiah 1.8 because the meaning of this scaleth to be carried away, to exalt, to honor, to be carried up, perfected, rises up. They that wait, vapor, went away, are all part of it. And number 23.9 that I read from the top of the rock, I see him. This thing of knowing how to arise and knowing how to ascend is so important. These revelations are, are not accidental. They are not accidental at all. Well, let's just, let's just look. Let's just go to Job. Let's just go to Job because it is such an awesome book. And let's just see just right from the beginning. There was a man in the land of Uz. And we find that in Jeremiah 25, 20, it speaks about all the kings of the land of Uz. That the land of Uz wasn't just some isolated, lonely place where Job lived that had few people. It was a land of kingdoms. And you find that verified in Jeremiah 25, 20. There was a man that lived there in that land of kingdoms whose name was Job. And his substance was 7,000 sheep. How in that place that very clearly in the Bible here it shows that he lived that so deserty and so wildernessly or so wilderness-like could he have had these 3,000, um, 7,000 sheep and 3,000 and, and, uh, 3, camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses. How could he have taken care of them? Because just as the scripture has evidence, in, in Barak it was different. A different time. Now, what's awesome about this book is this experience of spirituality was a place that Lucifer, Satan, was interested about. And why? <laughs> because it was a place where wise people came to meet. The comforters of Job, they were, they, they were all part of it. In chapter 4, verse 1, then Eli, Eliphaz, the Temanite, answered and said, so this comforter, this person that came to talk with Job of the three, was a Temanite. Isn't that interesting? And isn't it interesting that when the day came, chapter 1 and 6, that the sons of God came before God to meet, that Satan came before them. Well, the thing of it is, in those days, there was people spiritual enough to be able to recognize when spirits entered into a, 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 a meeting and became part of a meeting. But in the days of Paul and the days that are present, 
The Bible says that people entertain angels of all kinds, totally being unaware, totally being unaware where they're evil spirits or whether they're angelic spirits. Evil angels are good angels. There's been a great loss of discerning of spirits. A great loss of that. But this whole thing of the revelation of this thing of Teman and Bama is absolutely big stuff to know. Now, when we get into these things about, about Satan being there in the book of Job, and we know that Job was obviously one of the wise men, one of the top-rung wise men, we also know then that the forces of darkness are going to fight wisdom. They do not want the pillars of wisdom to stand. And we know that even Jesus was totally aware of the wise men that came from the East, as were the writers of those New Testament scriptures. And that even all of the history later the aspect of the wise men from the east is still going on from the time of Job to the time of Jesus but we cannot forget we cannot forget That in Job 38, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth my counsel by words without knowledge? That is one of the important things to understand, that there can be words that seem to say something, but they have no knowledge imbued into them. Because... The letter killeth, only the spirit makes alive. And here we see the whirlwind. And we read last week how that the word that was revealed in Genesis, how that that word revealed in Genesis, the first chapter, which was about wind, that it, it had revelation there that showed that the word wind was, could be translated also whirlwind. So whirlwind was introduced in Genesis by Moses. <coughs> and so that then connects to Job of whirlwind and to Ezekiel of whirlwind and to all of the men of God that began that came into Revelation by what this thing called the whirlwind is because it has to do with spinning. And I showed you that how that in this loop of electromagnetism, how that this spinning that takes place this, in this loop 
is what allows this levitation or this suspension or to be able to walk on water, to be able to be lifted up. And how that this whirlwind thing is part of the quickenings and is part of the rushings and it's tied in to the revelation of, 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 of the angels that are preaching the everlasting gospel in the skies. Now, I see there is just so much, but I, I can't quit here. I just, gotta, I just gotta share a few other things. I think I have to explain just a little bit about, about Aaron and her. Now when Moses was, went up on the mount and they were being challenged by a force of that had a pretty powerful army. <clears throat> Moses knew that even Joshua could not win this battle alone just by flesh. Some of these, these groups were very advanced with weaponry. This needed angelic help. And Moses went up and he had his rod and he had his arm and he stood and he lifted it up and began to pray. And as long as Moses prayed with his arm held up, Joshua and no doubt Caleb could defeat the enemy. But then something happened. Moses got tired. Now I want to tell you the importance of when you have a, a minister, when you have ministry and you have leaders. I want to tell you the importance of recognizing that they are human. And though their life has been visited with miracles and incredible revelation, they can get tired. They can find it difficult to keep standing. They can find it unreasonable of their strength to keep holding up the rod, which is the Father ministry. That's what it represents. And every head of the Father ministry of a tribe had a, a rod. Only one of them bloomed, which was Aaron, Aaron's rod. But let me tell you this. There was a body ministry that happened and Aaron and her put a stone under, under the arm of, of Moses and they, one stood on one side, one stood on the other side to keep those arms up. I want to tell you that there's a scripture that tells that when the, the army of Israel went out and they fought and they won and they brought back a lot of 
a lot of war goods, valuable war goods of animals and even gold and silver. And they all wanted to split it up between the soldiers. And Moses said, you will not do this. The people that had to stay at home didn't stay because they were not afraid to go out in battle. They stayed because it was their, their job by the revelation to stay by the stuff. So that when you came back, there wasn't some enemy that came in and burned it up or, or destroyed it. And so they're going to get equal what you get. Well, there's more to that story than can be imagined because Aaron and her, they did a wonderful body ministry thing there. But just up the roadways, when Moses went up to the mountain to receive all this revelations, to meet the, the Lord Christ in his Yahweh or Yahweh body, the people of Israel began to complain and say, we don't know what happened to this Moses guy. Let's make another God. Because you see, all along, they hadn't been seeing the miracle. All along, they, they were into the, the word that kills, the letter of the law. They were missing out. They didn't understand the angelic manna. They didn't understand the zis. They didn't understand the angels. And her, the Bible tells us, next week I'll give you the scriptures, he was assigned to be in a counselor at that time when Moses was up on the mountain with the people. And, and, so, and, and, and so was Aaron. But guess what? They failed. And while Moses was receiving the most incredible, awesome revelations, they failed and all those people begin to worship idols and begin to dance naked. And when Moses came down with the, the two tablets that were about the laws of love, before he broke them and they had to be changed into the laws of, of the curse, except for just two, of the, of the laws. When they came down and found out what happened, they say, he said to Aaron, what have you done? Obviously, he said that to her also. Well, what happened? Here's what happened. God said, none of you people that have done this will ever get to go to the promised land. That included her. That included Aaron. They never made it to the promised land. So their act on the mount of holding up the, the arm of Moses, though they had done that, their credit was erased. And the person that they were aiding when they held up the arms of Moses was Joshua and Caleb, who were two of the 12 spies that went over and gave the only ones that gave a positive report of the 12 people that went as spies from Israel. And so the credit of holding up the arms of Moses and the body ministry went to Joshua and Caleb. And both of those two men made it into the promised land. In fact, 
Caleb was 85 years old when he went across the line into the promised land. And they were involved in the whirlwind ministry. The whirlwind ministry of Ezekiel was the wheels of the, of the Ziths, the cherubim, the ophidim. The whirlwind ministry of Moses was an understanding of the wind, how it solved the problem of the flood. And the whirlwind ministry is the quickening and the rushing. And God is calling his people together. But involved in this is a body ministry. A body ministry. And there is a need in this body ministry. And I want to say this. I usually never, never, never like to talk about finances. But we have so much going on right now. We've got so many people involved in this ministry helping. But I'm telling you, even though I have put I sold our little house that we were hoping to use that money one day to fix, to do more work on the house and to live in it maybe someday and own it. But we sold it and we put that, all that money sometime back. It wasn't a lot. It was only 40000 because it wasn't finished. We were building it uh, from a wrecked home. Uh, and, and, and I put it all into the ministry. But the things I've sold and the things that other people have done, which is I appreciate and thank God for you, is great. But we are in a situation where the hands of the ministry cannot be held out up without help. There's got to be help. And I'm praying and asking God, and I don't ha like to have to say this, but I got to say it. I need 20 people to put $500 into the manifest ministry because we're running out of funds for these incredible things that we're doing. We're just plain running out. And we need 20. If, we, if th that many people can come up with 500, I don't want anybody to borrow the money. I don't want you to give anything that you need to survive. But I need 20 people to rise somehow. And other people can give less. If there's more of those that do that. But, but we're going to need some help. And I believe that this, this ministry today that, preaching, that I'm preaching is meant for me to say this. Because otherwise the story never needed to be told about Moses. Never needed to be told that he got tired. Never needed to be told he had a human aspect. Never needed to be told that he ran out of energy. And we might think we never need to tell that we get tired or that we run out of money. But, you know, it's part of the story. And we need 20 people to step up and get $500 into this ministry, that would amount to $10,000. That would keep us going for some time for what we're trying to do. And I can't even tell you some of the things that are happening that are absolutely incredible. But unfortunately, it takes money. May God bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine on you.